So we're going to start a new series today. It's on righteousness and uh, the power of righteousness. And uh, this is um, inspiring. This, uh, I, I just studied this first uh, lesson on righteousness uh, uh, and uh, I was inspired by the, the thing that God is laying down in our lives and where we can go from this. And I want to encourage you to, to listen well to this this uh, series of sermons on righteousness and begin to walk in this and live in this. There's real power in righteousness. It's a big word, righteousness. And it's powerful in terms of what God does for us in terms of righteousness. And when we live in righteousness, we're told that righteousness guards the way of the blameless. It's powerful because righteousness can exalt a nation. If you, a nation is righteous before God, God will lift up that nation and prosper that nation and cause that nation to prosper in him. If a nation is unrighteous, God can bring that nation down and to nothing. So righteousness exalts a nation. It says that righteousness delivers from death and righteousness leads to life. So as such, it's very powerful. I mean, if you know that something can deliver you from death, if something can lead you toward life, if something is described as gates of righteousness and you're described as a tree of righteousness, if you have a breastplate of righteousness and you're walking in the way of righteousness, if you live in a place of righteousness or a city of righteousness, you're wearing a robe of righteousness, if righteousness is a mighty stream, and this is all the scriptures that talk to us about righteousness, there's something about righteousness that we need to grasp, something that we need to understand. And the Bible says at the end, he will crown us with the crown of righteousness. We'll have a crown of righteousness. So what is righteousness? What is righteousness? Righteousness is that right standing with God whereby you have that ability to stand with God completely clean and perfect without any, without any mess in your life. And we want to talk about how God does that for us and how God wants us to live in that in our lives. There's a confusion in this world, though, because righteousness now has become something that is sort of frowned upon. In fact, anybody who, who deems to be righteous today in today's society is, is frowned upon and deem, deemed to be odd or strange. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 tells us that these are the bad days when woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So you, you, you're talking to people and you're talking about the way of God and, how, and what God expects. You, you know, you guys are so narrow. You know, the way of the world, the way that the world is going now is different to this. We're in the 21st century. You know, you've got to get out of your old-fashioned ways and start thinking more modern things, you know. And the way of God seems to be evil and the way of the world which is evil seems to be good and they we're told why when you live in those days when those who call evil good good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter so man is born with a sense of knowing right and wrong i mean that's part of the legacy of uh being a son and a daughter of adam they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and immediately they knew that they were sinful and immediately they hid themselves from God 
and all those who have been born from that original couple have always had in their bosom at the, at the first start an understanding of the law of God and a conscience between right and wrong, an ability to recognize something is right and something is wrong. It doesn't stay there for, for very long, but it's there in the initial stages, stages of life. When we start off in life, we know that there is this vacuum in our life that we've done something wrong. We all experience a sense of guilt. It doesn't matter what culture we come from. It doesn't matter where we were born. It doesn't matter what land we lived in. If you were born, you were born with the sense of right and wrong. You knew righteousness and you knew what was unrighteous. You knew what was good and you knew what was bad. And after a while, it got confused in your mind. After a while, you got confused about what was good and what was bad. And you say, well, why is it bad? And you start to, well, it's good for me. If it's good for me and it's good for you, why is it bad? And you, you lost the whole skill of telling what righteousness really was. The devil was at work trying to confuse the inner witness of God, trying to confuse what was right and what was wrong, trying to take away a sense of clarity there. As it, as it was, you know, the sun shines down and gives a shadow. The devil blocks out the sun and puts another light source to make another shadow and say, well, really, which way is the sun shining? What is really right? What is really wrong? You really don't know. So you get really confused about it and make up your own mind. You become the determiner of right and wrong in your own life. Don't let anybody else do that for you, says the devil. So now righteousness scorned among the heathen and, and those who walk in righteousness are ridiculed. And there's a denial of the power of righteousness in the church. We used to think that, you know, it used to be like when you got saved, you know, a person got saved and you could see the difference in that person's life, you know. It was like they were this way and then Jesus confronted them in their sin. They gave their life to the Lord and then they became this kind of person. It was like there was no different. There was a stark change in their lives. But nowadays you look in churches and you say, yeah. people say, well, I'm a Christian. I look at one thing and, and, and this couple was saying, well, I'm a Christian. We're a gay couple, but I'm a Christian. I gave my heart to Jesus. What's so wrong? So it becomes really confusing. We think, well, wait a minute. There's two things that don't match here. There's two things that seem to be odd here. And you're saying, I, I know everybody does something wrong and I know I do all wrong things all the time and Jesus loves me just because I'm a sinner anyway, so it doesn't really matter. What do you mean? Your life is no different to what you were before? No, I just got Jesus in my life. Something is wrong here. Something went wrong somewhere, you know, where that confusion, the power of righteousness was gone. There's the denial of it. The Bible says the power of godliness changes a life righteousness is changing a life from one state to another state and god does that and the power of righteousness is in the changed life when we read second timothy and it's a it's a common verse you should know well chapter 3 verses 1 it talks about in the last times there's going to be terrible times in these last days he says people who will be lovers of themselves they're not worried about anybody they just love themselves Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not the lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. What power are they denying? 
Well, if you looked at all of those things, you'd say there's nothing different in those lives to everybody else in the world. Everybody else loves themselves. Everybody else is proud and abusive. Everybody else is disobedient to their parents. Everybody else is unholy. Self-control is gone. Brutal and love is a pleasure. Rather, Everybody else is like that. And you're in the church and the church is like that. So everybody in the church is the same as everybody in the world. There's no difference. The power of godliness is gone. And the power of godliness is this righteousness. It's changed lives. And one of the things that broken people really understand, and I suppose broken people understand it more than anybody else, is that you really need to change. You can't keep on going in your life, keep on doing the same things that you've been doing over and over and over and over again and get a different result. If you want to have a changed life, you've got to begin to do things differently. You've got to let something change you on the inside. And so when you come to Jesus and you recognize that you are completely broken and you are completely smashed and your life is ruined, you come to Jesus and say, I am ruined, I'm broken. And he says, you need to change some things. You need to change what's going on there. And he gives you the ability to change and he also changes things for you. And then your life begins to look different to what it was. So the person who drinks doesn't drink anymore. The person who used to take drugs doesn't take drugs anymore. The person who is into pornography doesn't do pornography anymore. The person who's stealing doesn't steal anymore. The person who tells lies starts telling the truth. The person with a foul mouth starts stopping their foul mouth. People start to be honest who are dishonest. People who had no integrity start to have integrity. Why? Because of the power of godliness. Because there's a life changing going on. And so you can see the marked difference between someone who is following Jesus and somebody who hasn't found Jesus just yet. So the confusion in the church is when everybody looks the same and they're all doing the same thing, we're all Christians, what are you talking about? This is a problem with righteousness. I like this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, and he talks about, I, I saw this on a video um, a week or so ago, I think. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And that's the stark reality of it. If you're not righteous, you're not going to get to heaven. The Bible says in Matthew, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to get to heaven. And the, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they were spotless in terms of the things they used to do outside on the external. Just their hearts didn't love God. They loved to, to keep everything right on the outside, but they just didn't love God on the inside. He says, you've got to get more righteous than that. He says, do not, you know, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived. And this is where people get deceived. Because they think they can keep on sinning and still get to heaven. And you can't. He says, I don't want you to be deceived. He says, neither fornicators, now a fornicator is a person who has sex with somebody else and they're not married, nor idolaters. An idolater is somebody who creates an image of God or an idol in their mind like God. A lot of people say, so, you know, my God, your God might send you to hell if you were doing such and such and such and such, Haki, but my God, my God wouldn't look at me like that. My God loves me. My God, would, and my God, he knows that I'm a rotten sinner and he knows and such and he loves me anyway. 
That's why. That my, and so they create an, an image that has nothing to do with the Bible of God in their mind and they worship that image of God and they say, don't judge me, my God, but your God has no bearing with the Scripture. It doesn't even, he doesn't even sound like the one who's in the Scripture. You see, you need to take your head and say, what does God say in the Word? That's what it is. So don't deceive yourself and create an image of God in your mind that's allowing you to do certain things that are unrighteous just because he's a big and loving God and he's infinite as love and because he's infinite as love, he knows that I do this, it's okay. So premarital sex, okay, it doesn't matter. You're deceived. Idolaters won't get to heaven. Nor adulterers, that's those who muck around who are married. Nor homosexuals nor sodomites, and the sodomites talks a bit about pedophilia, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, that's party goers, extortionists, those who steal or extort money from people, will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's a big, big list. Now what does he say to the Corinthians? He says, and such were some of you. They say, you were like that. Notice the tense. You, you were like that. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. Now, sanctified means set apart. You're taken from one place and you're sanctified, put in another place. So if I said to, um, if I said to Jesse, I want to set you apart. I want to set you apart because I like you. I think that you've got some great talent. So what you're going to do is you're, going to, you're not going to uh, go to school with all the other guys. You're going to go to a music industry um, college, you know, conservatory, and you're going to devote your whole self to playing drums because you've got some talent there, you know. And because you've got some talent, you're going to be set apart from normal life. You're going to be devoted to just doing that. You'll have to do your schooling some other way, but you're going to commit yourself. That's how you're going to be set apart. And that would be like a, a sponsorship or something, and, and that sometimes happens. Where people have said, but his whole life would be set apart to do something like that. Well, we're set apart for God. That's how God looks at us. He says, you guys, I'm going to set you apart. You're not going to be like everybody else. You're not going to be doing what everybody else is going to do. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you and I'm going to set you apart because I've got a job for you to do. I'm going to sanctify you. You used to be like that. You used to do what everybody else did. You used to play that game. You used to do that stuff. But I'm going to take you from that place and I'm going to put you over here because I've got a job for you to do. And I'm going to train you. I'm going to keep you. You're going to change now to become what I want you to become. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. The word justified means that he paid all the debts that you had and he, was, he made you so as though you never sinned before. So if you came in and you said, I've got all these problems, I've got all these debts, I, 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 I've got all this stuff that's left out owing and he says, I've fixed it all up. It's all fixed up now. You come in it's all justified, made just if you'd never sinned before. He said, that's what he's done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. There has to be a change in our lives. And that's the righteous power. We change from impure to pure. We are changed from being broken to being whole. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, and I'm going to run through this passage of Scripture. So if you can... Got it in your Bibles, look it up in your Bibles, we'll find it in your phone. And we're going to run through this passage of Scripture, and I just want to talk to you about it. 
Because Paul, when he's talking to the Ephesians here, he's, he's actually wanting to address the problem of them not getting their heads around this whole idea of being changed. And he wants to remind them of what it was at the beginning so they can get back to the habit of doing what God wants them to be doing, living a changed life. So he starts off in verse 17 and he says, And I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now when he uses the term Gentiles, the word Gentiles is usually referred to as those who do not have God. So he's saying to the Ephesians, you guys have God, but I'm insisting on this in the Lord that you no longer live like those who do not have God. He says, there's got to be a change in the way you think about yourself. There's got to be a change in the way you address your life. Don't live like those who do not have God. And he says, he describes it. He says, in the futility of their thinking. Now, the futility of their thinking, when you look at the Greek word to have a look at that, it means it's devoid of truth and appropriateness. It's, it's perverse and depraved. It's weak and it lacks strength. The thinking. He says, don't let your thinking become devoid of truth. Don't let your thinking become perverse or depraved. Now the devil is always going to play for your mind. That's where he's going to start first. He's going to start with your head. Whatever it is, whether you go through some struggle with sickness or whether you go through some difficulty at school or whether you go through some challenge in relationship or whether you go through some circumstance that comes and tries to tempt you, the first thing the devil will try and get you is to try and get you to think certain things about what's happening in your life. And there is a play for your mind. There's a play to take your mind and to drag your mind from where it should be in God and put it in the gutter. And he doesn't do that just like with one instance. He does it little by little. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit somewhere else. And so you start and you go through life and say, oh, look at that. And you think, when we first get saved, usually we're fairly good with ourselves. Oh, I love you, Jesus, and I just want to do the right thing because I I hate the sin because it was just so close to me now. And Jesus saved me out of it. And I feel clean now. I, I just want to go for Jesus now. And then after a little while, he starts to lure you back. Why don't you have a look at this? See this? Why don't you have a, one of your old friends rings up. Usually one of the old friends comes and... Knocks and says, hey, how about we go out again, you know? Some from the past starts knocking at your door to try and remind you of things. Or you, you find something from the past or you put on a bit of old music that you used to listen to. You know, the old music brings back the old memories and the old thoughts and then you go to see if you can find that old phone number. And all of a sudden your mind starts to get wobbly about where you're going and what God wants you to do and it starts to come into a place where you start to grovel on the ground and truth is starting to go from you and you're starting to get distracted by the things that are around you. I mean, this walking in Jesus is hard stuff. It means you have to get your head around it. It says, in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding. Now, the word darkened in their understanding means that the faculty of their understanding and the, and the, the desiring and their feeling started to get dull. 
So once upon a time, we had a sharp mind and a sharp thought about what was right or wrong. But as we go on, it starts to get a bit dull. And usually the thing that dulls things off for us is we usually do some sort of sin. You know, there's a nice clean glass door at the front there of the building. And when we come to the end of the day, we go and look at it and there are some handprints on it. Usually it's nice and clean because it's been cleaned and then at the end of the day, kids have touched it with their dirty hands and smudged it. Now that doesn't look, you don't see it unless you really notice, unless you're a clean freak and you wouldn't even notice it, you just keep on going, you know. But after two or three weeks like that, you, you just let that build up and build up and build up. It becomes pretty terrible. Now, they, it may not be a problem there, but if you have it on your glasses here, it's going to be a problem because you're not going to be able to see right through, you know. And that's going to affect your vision and stuff like that. And usually we get darkened in our understanding of things because we get dirty fingers on the glass of our vision, we sin and we don't get rid of the sin. We say, oh, yeah, I know I sinned again. Okay, forget it, okay. And rather than doing what Nehemiah said, and Lord, I've sinned and I'm sorry and let's get back to the, to the right place for you, we just let it go. We don't bother to say sorry. We just, we just live in this little thumbprint right in the middle of our glass. We can't see through it. And a little while later, something else happens and it's pretty soon we can't even read the print on the page. We don't even want to go to the page anymore because we can't see it. We don't understand it anymore. It's starting to get dark on the inside. It's gradual, slow process to take us out. That's separated from the life of God. Alienated, separated from the life of God. They're covered with darkness. It's screwed up in our minds because we... We don't keep ourselves clean before God. We don't know how to keep ourselves clean before God. We don't bother talking to God. We just talk to our mates and then we are separated from the sense of God because of the hardening of our hearts. And that callousness of heart starts coming in. Once upon a time we used to feel bad about it, but now we don't even feel bad about it anymore. And then pretty pretty soon... There is no difference between our lives, what they used to be, and the people around us. We've gone back to the old and just slowly, gradually went cold. Now, now Paul is aware of this and he he wants us, he's saying, I don't want you to get caught like this. He says, with the hardening of your heart. They've lost all sensitivity. He says, you could get to a place if you let yourself slip where you lose your sensitivity where you lose that sense of grief or pain. You're not, you know, some people think that it's, it's, you know, if I can just not feel anything, if I, if I just don't feel anything, I'll be great. And, they, they, you, know, you know, you hurt me, you, you hurt my heart, you, I'm not going to love anybody anymore, so I'm just going to feel tough now. I'm, I'm not, you can't hurt, no one can hurt me. Talk to the hand. I'm tough now. I'm, you lost all sensitivity. You lose a whole lot in life when you do that. You walk through life feeling tough and you've lost all sensitivity. Nothing good there. The art is to have the sensitivity, but it's a painful place to live, isn't it, when you have sensitivity? It's a painful place to live when you feel things. And so the devil wants you to lose all sensitivity so you can do whatever you want to do. He wants you to become callous. He wants you to become insensitive. Once upon a time, you would see somebody who was, who was sitting in to say, oh, that's not right. Or you'd see something, you'd say something, oh, that's not right. Or you'd listen to something that was going on and say, oh, that's not right. Or you think, you'd read something in the Word and say, that's right, I wish I could do that. And now you don't care. 
Oh, so well, everybody's like, well, what, we, what can we do? And apathy sets in. Lethargy sets in. And we sit there and think, oh, and I can't do anything about it. Why bother? And so you front and you come to church just because you do the thing that you do on Sunday because you front and come to You lose the sense that God has set you aside and set you apart because he wants to do something fantastic in your life and fantastic in the lives of others. And you give yourself over to indulging the things that make you feel good now because that's all you got left. You lost your sensitivity towards God. You don't you just wait for another little outbreak of the flesh. Wait for the next origin match to come through. You get all excited about the origin or you get all excited about worldly things, but you're not excited about God. You're not excited about the things that God wants you to be excited about. You're not even looking for those things anymore. You've given yourself over to sensuality now, to indulge in every kind of impurity with an in, in, increased desire for more of it. And you know, some of us find ourselves stuck right there because we used to be hot for God and passionate for God, but we slipped and the power of righteousness was replaced for an unrighteous, an unrighteous cloak that covered us and took our zeal away. And, and Paul says to them, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul said, when you came to Jesus... You were broken. You recognized you were a sinner and you recognized you needed saving and you came to Jesus and he changed you. He did something. He says, and then Paul says, you learned how to do something. You've got to get back to what you used to do and shake off what you didn't. You've learned not to do and start at the beginning again. And so he said, this is, he says, what you learned according to the truth that was in Jesus. He says, you learned to put off Concerning your former con conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, I want to talk to you about what that putting off is like. It's to put off, to lay aside something. Now, my, is, is this stuck to the, um, I don't know whether it is. Is this, oh no. no. No, don't you dare. You can't help me put it off. What do you think? You can change me? You can't change me. This is my thing. But if I don't take it off, I'll probably melt because I'm so hot. Am I the only hot one in the room? That's where your mind is, you see. Putting it off sometimes means you're going to have to struggle with things. Oh, and the problem when you take it off is you're, it's revealing. <laughs> but we like that jumper, don't we? It kind of covers us, doesn't it? And when we take it off, you know, people can see what we're really made of. 
And that's the problem. That's why we don't like to do that. We don't like to take the things off that God wants us to take off because we get some sort of covering and some sort of comfort from the fact that we're covering ourselves with this simple thing. He says, you put it off, it is worn out. He says, this old man, he says, you put off the old man. The word old is to worn out, it is used by date, it's finished. It should be cast aside now, not to be worn again because it is worn out. Don't wear that thing. If it it had baby vomit on it and and, and the babies had done a whole lot of other things and I'd fallen, I'd gone to the farm and pick up some quails who'd done some business on me and if it had had vomit on it from uh, from, uh, me being sick the other night and and phlegmed down the sides of it because I'd coughed all over it and if it had holes in it where I'd, uh, you know, and I I blew my nose on it... (laughs) And I've rubbed it in there. You can't see it now because I just rubbed it on. You'd want to get close to me when I'm wearing it, wouldn't you? Come on, give me a hug. He says, you want to get that off. It's worse than that, you know. Did you know when you're wearing your old flesh that you're a contagion? That if I'm wearing the old flesh and I'm coming around you and you're a new man, the only thing I'm going to do to you is going to kind of try and poison you with it. Because everything that's on my flesh is not good. He says, take it off. This former life, it's worn out. He says, you were taught in Christ Jesus, and this is the basic thing you were taught, to take it off. Put off your old man. So if you ever gave your heart to Jesus and you go in a church service one day and they said, you know, give your life to Jesus. And they say, yeah, yeah, I give my life to Jesus. And they said, okay, I've prayed this prayer. And you said this little prayer, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. You know, take away my sins. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you were not taught to put off something. You were not taught the truth. So if you're doing bad stuff and you give your heart to Jesus, Jesus expects you to stop the bad stuff and to start something new. It's as simple as that. So now you ask yourself the question, am I a good person or a bad person? Am I going for Jesus or not going for Jesus? Well, it's quite simple. You just have to look at your conduct. I don't care what you say. Just look at your conduct. Are you living in the old self? Or have you started to live in the new person? Have you put off the old self, which is being grows corrupt according to its deceitful desires? It's, 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 it's lying to yourself and it's deceiving yourself. It says, you just, you know, I'm okay. I talked to one man once and I talked to him about his life and I, he was taking drugs. He was uh, immoral. He was also an alcoholic. No, it wasn't you, Phil. Um, and I talked to him about his life. And I, I, I'm all right. He says, Jesus loves me. That's a deception. Right there is a deception. Yes, Jesus does love him. We know he does love him. But listen to me. You're not a Christian if you do those things. You're a Christian when you put those things off and God changes your life. So there's an obligation that you have to understand what God is saying. You learned something here. If you are born again, God expects you to put something off. He says, take it off, put it off, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
He says, the inside of your mind needs to be made new. The renewed in the spirit of the mind says that you have to start to change your thinking process. Isaiah says very clearly, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This is in Isaiah 55 verses 6 to 9. He says, let the wicked forsake, it's the same idea of putting it off, let the wicked forsake the way, his ways, and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, the way he's thinking, he's got to put them away. Let him return to the Lord and let him have, and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly, abundantly pardon him. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so we are told to put off and to change the way we think about things. Now, because we don't have all the thoughts there that we need to think, that means that we have to go to the Word of God and start to get into the process of changing the way we think about certain things. So when I got, when I got saved, one of the things I said to God, I don't really know what to think anymore because everything I was thinking before was, is stuffed up. So... I suppose I better take the word and can you teach me how to think? Well, that's a way to start life. Can you teach me what is right? I really don't know what's right and wrong anymore. I got that all screwed up in my head. So now can I come to your word and can you teach me what is right? So that when I read it, if you say it's right, it's right. If you say it's wrong, it's wrong. And I'll accept what you say. You teach me and I'll change to be like you. I'll take my old thoughts and I'll put them off like a dirty cloth and I'll take your word and I'll listen to what you say and you can change my mind. I will let you change my mind. See, the problem is we go to the Word of God and we want the Word of God to say what we want it to say. We go to the Word of God and we say, you know, we want the Bible to justify us in our sin. And God says, I'm not justifying anybody in their sin. I'm telling you, if you want new life, it comes through my way and this is my way. This is how it is. And you take this on into your life. So he says that you are to put on the new man. Now the word put on is an interesting word. Because it means to put on something. And you notice something when you put something on that it acts as a covering. So you can't really see what's underneath it. And it keeps you warm. And if it's a nice thing that you put on, it looks good. But we're told to put it on. That means it was given to us. He didn't say go and make it and clothe yourself with it. He said, here it is, put it on. 
So something that you didn't actually come up with, it's something he came up with, and it's something he said, you can just put it on there. It's like a cloak. You know, give, it, give it to you, this cloak. You, know, you can clothe yourself with it now. You don't have to do anything to actually create it. You don't have to do anything to make it. You don't have to do anything to put it together. It's already been put together for you. All you have to do is sink into it. The righteousness, the new man, Just sink into it. Put off the old one. Put off the broken one. Put off the lying. Put off the other. And now find out what the new man is like and just sink into it. Clothe yourself with it. Well, what do I have to do? You know, do I have to crawl around the front here and cry and lament and say, Hail Mary, Mother of God and our dear Father. How many, what do I have to do? Nothing, just Find out what it is and put it on. Clothe yourself with it. Am I wearing something now? Can you see it on me? It's on me. I put it on. It's covering me. I took it from something and I put it on. It's mine now. It covers me. What was that idea that you said about this, Lord? I, I didn't know whether that was right or wrong. But I read that passage and you said, it is wrong. Oh, it's wrong. Let me put that on now. So that's part of my understanding now. It is wrong. Somebody said, what do you think about gay marriage? Well, I didn't know what to think about that. But I went to the Word of God and the Word of God told me that it was wrong. So I am going to put that on. Are you... Did you create that in your... No, God told me that. It's in his word. It's wrong. So I'm just going to put that on. Well, what do you think about it? I don't have a mind to think about it. God's mind is my mind. I have the mind of Christ. It is wrong. Full stop. Well, what about sex before marriage? You know, everybody gets into that. You know, everybody's doing it. I know kids are 14 and they're all playing. Well, they do this at school and they do that at school. When I was at school, we had some prostitutes working. and The kids... Prostituting. Listen, well, you know, everybody wanted to go to school. You know, it's a way to make some money for lunch, tuck money. What does it say in the word? That's immoral. Oh, let me put that on. What do you think about that? Oh, everybody, just as long as they're not hurting anybody. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It doesn't matter whether they're hurt or not hurting. It's hurting God because God says it's wrong. So I'm going to put that on. And I'm going to walk in that. You don't ask me to think about it. I, I don't have to think too much about it. You don't ask me to debate about it. I don't have to debate about it. You don't have to. I, what does the Bible say about it? That's all I need to know because that's what I'm going to put on. I'm going to put on what the Bible says. That's my view. It says that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness. So this thing that we're clothing ourselves on, this person that we're clothing ourselves in, this identity that we're clothing ourselves in is created to be just like God in true righteousness. You know, I want to be the most righteous person I can be. How many people want to be sort of a little bit righteous, a little bit unrighteous? No, okay. How many people want to be white, white, white for God? 
Well, you just got to put on white, white, white then, you know. And when the devil comes and says, you know, well, what about, you know, that's a little bit over the top, you know. You know, you'll have, you lose all your friends if you believe that way. You're a bit over the top. People will think that you're a bit strange if you believe that. You know how the media is now so angry at anybody who says, that. well, why don't you just, just quieten your voice down and just change your attitude so you're more acceptable for people. You know what, I'm not worrying about being acceptable. I want to have true righteousness and holiness. You know, I like the word new. He says, and put on the new man. It's not like the old one. The new man is different. And the word new means unfamiliar. New and unfamiliar. It should be something different to me. Something different than I've ever experienced before. And when we come to God and we think, you know, where's God going to take us? Where's God going to move us? What's God going to do with us? Where are we going to go? It's going to be where we've been before. Daryl, it's going to be what we've done before. It's going to be new. Do you know where we're going to go? We're going to heaven, but when we're here, you know what's going to happen? How we're going to get there? What we're going to be doing here? No, it's unfamiliar, isn't it? I've never been down that track before. It's scary, isn't it? You know why it's scary, hey? Because you're not in control. In the old life, when things were going bad, we were in control, always in control. But with this new man, you're not in control because you don't own yourself. He owns you and he will take you where he wants you. And the fun part about it is he doesn't tell you where he's going sometimes. He just says, follow me. You would have read as the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Oh, Jesus has taken them out of Egypt. Oh, all the broken stuff, the slavery is all gone. Hallelujah. And did you see the way he did it? All the 10 plagues that he poured out upon them. Oh, get you baddies. And he did it really good. And, they said, and then they poured money into their hands. And they walk around, they got gold and wealth from the Egyptians. Put it on the cart. Let's go. Moses is heading out. Let's head out there. And they're all heading out. Where are they going? I don't know, but we're heading out there. A new path we're walking on. And where do they go to a dead end? Right to the corner of a peninsula, the sea in front of them, and the Pharaoh behind them, smack bang to an impossible situation. Scary stuff. Moses, Moses, why did you bring us out to the desert to kill us? Put on the new man. I want to go back. I like the leeks and the garlics in Egypt. Put on the new man, says Moses. The scary part about following someone who knows more than you is they're not necessarily going to tell you what they're going to do. They're just going to say, just trust me. And when Jesus says, just trust me, he's saying, with your whole life for your future, Jesse, just trust him. And if he calls you to be different, be different. And you might walk straight into a dead end and say, oh, well, what am I going to do now? I'm going to be killed. Is that what's going to happen? I'm going to be destroyed because I'm following God in this new life. Jesus says, just watch what I'm going to do. Oh, and look at that. I can make the water stand up on its end. 
and you can walk on dry ground. Well, that was the first time and they got on the other side and they jumped around and they sang songs and Miriam wrote a song. Oh, the horse and the rider has he thrown into the sea. And it took them three days. This is our lives, friends. This is your new life. Put your hand in the hand of Jesus. Put off. Don't go back to Egypt. What do you want to pick up that garment of Egypt and put it on for? It stinks. It smells of slavery. Take it off forever. Clothe yourself with God's garments of righteousness. Stand there and say, wherever you lead me, I'm going to go for the ride. Isn't this exciting? Better bring some friends with me because I'm scary alone. And do what Jesus wants you to do. Today we talk about purity and impurity. Take off the impurity of your old life. The new life that you've been given is being given to you. It's imputed to you. Jesus says, here it is. You don't have to work it. I paid for the debt. I got your new suit of clothes. It's given to you and you can wear it now. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's a position that he's given it to you, and it's also progressional. Now, that's an interesting idea. It's positional and it's progressional. And what that basically means is you get it now so you can wear it now, but you also got to walk in it and work it out now. The passage in Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. And it says, Therefore, my friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that basically means that God places his salvation in your life. So you have God's grace and salvation in you. You sometimes don't feel like it, but it's there. And he says... Now I want you to take what I put inside of you and begin to work it out in your life. So you start to put it on in your outer expression. So he says, I'm forgiven. So I'm, I've got God's grace on my life. And now he's calling me to do something. I, I'm scared about that. But he's given me his Holy Spirit to give me confidence. So I'm going to start to do the thing that he wants me to do. I'm going to take this thing that's on the inside of me and I'm going to start to work it out, put it on. I'm going to work it out. And the Bible says, then it's God who's working in you to work and to will for his good pleasure. So he's inside there going, that's great. You're doing fine. Let's go. Let's keep on doing it. Don't stop now. Keep on pressing in there. Don't quit. I know the devil wants you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Just keep on going. And God's helping you to keep on putting it out. And as you keep on putting it out, you are exchanging impurity for his purity. You're exchanging filth for cleanliness. Unrighteousness for righteousness. And you start to live out the light of God which shines within you. You've got two choices today 
You can live in the position refusing the old, changing the old ways of thinking and feeling and behaving. Or you can not listen to me. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Keep listening to the old music. Keep watching the old shows. Keep reacting the old way. Keep saying the old words. Keep thinking the old things. And your life will not be any different. You'll just have lost the power of godliness. That will have been your choice. You can work out God's grace in your life. You can live out God's grace in your life. You can obey and follow and put off the old and change every day to be a little bit more like Jesus, which means people are going to hate you, which means people are not going to understand you, means people are going to you know, say things against you. You're going to get sort of persecuted. You're going to get sort of laughed at. It doesn't really matter. But you're going to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. And then you'll be different. Or you can just run with the crowd like a dead fish float down the stream and be the same as everybody else. And that, my friend, is your choice. That God has provided everything for you to be righteous. And you know what? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I want you to stand up if you want to serve Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we recognize the difficulty that we have in these days that are filled with evil everywhere around us. Your word has already told us that the love of most will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness. Lord, we know that in our own homes there's been an increase of wickedness because the access to the internet and because the access to unworldly to worldly stuff is so, so close to us all the time. Lord, if there's going to be a bridge or there's going to be a, a gate that stops it, Father, we pray that you would help us to put that gate up in our lives and not let anything from that world, Father, come into our hearts and our lives to change us. Father, we want to put off that which would take us down. We want to be renewed in the way we think about life. So help us to read your word and to accept completely your word, Lord Jesus. And we want to clothe ourselves and sink into the lovely righteousness of Jesus that he's given to us. And that, Lord, we would stand before you shining as a light when you come again. That, Jesus, you would shine through our lives, that others would see, and that your name would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.